Hello, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. John Campbell. I'm a professor and a veterinarian here at the Western College of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Saskatchewan. Well, we've had a bit of a break over the summer, took a bit of time off for some holidays, but now the podcast is back and it's time to deliver some new content. This week, I'm pleased to welcome Jace Fawson. Jace recently completed his master's degree in our department at the Western College of Veterinary Medicine, and he looked at antimicrobial use in Canadian cow-calf herds. He's going to join me to discuss some of his results. Let's get started. Hi, Jace. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Uh, Before we get into our topic for today, maybe I'll have you just introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us a little bit about your background and what you're doing these days. So, hi, John. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate being able to come on and talk. Um, I'm currently the coordinator for the Canadian Cow-Calf Health and Productivity Enhancement Network. Prior to this position, I completed a master science degree at the Western College of Veterinary Medicine under the supervision of Dr. Cheryl Waldner. Great. Well, and we'll talk more about your new job and that network at the end of the podcast and spend a little bit bit of time about that. We want to spend most of our time talking about your master's project. And one of the things you were looking at was antimicrobial usage in Canadian cow-calf herds. That was one of the major topics of your master's thesis. So maybe first of all, can we talk about why it's even important to get a handle on how calf producers are currently using antimicrobials or antibiotics? Yep. Um, So antimicrobial use is Um, uh, Oversight on antimicrobial use is increasing in both human and veterinary medicine. So careful use of antimicrobials is important to reduce the development of antimicrobial resistance. And antimicrobial resistance poses a threat to both the health of livestock and people. Cow-calf herds kind of fall into an interesting category in research and are not currently included in the federal antimicrobial use surveillance program. Across Canada, there are approximately 54,000 cow-calf operations, making them the most numerous livestock operation type in the country and impacting the greatest number of farm families. The cow-calf sector is an important starting point in the beef supply chain, supplying backgrounders and feedlots, as well as beef directly entering the food chain through the sale of call cows and bulls. Surveillance and on-farm research about antimicrobial use also provides critical information to producers, veterinarians, and industry leaders to inform the management of various disease risks and enhance animal health and welfare. Yeah, well, that's good. And I think it's important to remember, yeah, it's an important human health concern, but but lots of times we're doing this research on antimicrobial resistance and antimicrobial use to make sure that these drugs keep you working for us in the cow-calf industry or the feedlot industry into the future that we want those products to still be useful for us to treat animals and help animal welfare and, and treat various diseases. And that's an important aspect of this. So we want to make sure we're using them wisely. Let's start by talking about the herds you had involved in your study. Where did they come from and how did you get your information uh, from them about what drugs they were using? So we had 148 herds from across Canada provide antimicrobial use data to us. So of those herds, 98 came from Western Canada and the provinces of BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba. And then we had 48 herds from the east 
Um, the provinces of Ontario, Quebec, Nova Scotia, and New Brunswick provide us with antimicrobial use data. We collected the information on antimicrobial treatments using a survey. The survey was divided into four animal classes, which included nursing calves, weaned calves, cows, and bulls. And the survey included questions on the types of diseases being treated, the antimicrobial products that were being given, uh, the frequencies of treatments or how often producers were treating for specific diseases with a specific drug, and the percentage of the herd that a producer was treating with for a specific disease with a specific antimicrobial product. Yeah, and these were all part of our Canadian cow-calf surveillance network. We were following these herds for a number of years, and uh, so we had herds that worked with veterinarians and gave us good records, but hopefully they're somewhat representative of the of the herds across Canada, and we had the numbers representative of kind of different geographic areas too, so that kind of helps a little bit. So what did they do? How? What were the most common reasons for utilizing antimicrobial drugs or antibiotics in cow-calf herds? Well, we've seen some variation in the most common reasons for treatment, depending on the class of animal, but there's also some overall trends that we're seeing. Um, looking at our cow-calf herds across the country, we've seen that nursing calves and cows, those two groups were most likely to receive at least one treatment with an antimicrobial, um, where bulls were least likely to receive at least one treatment with an antimicrobial product. Overall, across all animal classes, the most common diseases were lameness, uh, with 89% of herds reporting treatment at least once followed by respiratory disease with 87% of the herds reporting treatment of an animal at least once. In the calves prior to weaning or nursing calves, we, the most commonly reported reasons for antimicrobial use were respiratory disease followed by diarrhea. In weaned calves, we also seen that antimicrobial use was most often for treatment of respiratory disease. And then in cows and bulls and our adult animals, lameness was the primary reason for antimicrobial use being reported, followed by eye infections. Okay, so that's uh, probably what we'd expect if you'd asked me ahead of time. I probably would have guessed that too. So diarrhea and pneumonia in calves, lameness in cows and bulls, uh, those are the most common reasons for using antimicrobials. But in fact, most of the time, these cow-calf herds weren't treating lots of animals. That's probably a good news story from the point of view of how much we use antibiotics. What proportion of animals usually got treated? Well, you got that, that right on the, the good news story for the um, not, not treating a lot of animals. Most herds actually reported treatment of very few animals, and this is a really important story for industry to tell. So in the two classes of animals, um, nursing calves and cows, where the highest number of treatments were seen, nearly half of producers treated less than 5% of their animals at least once. 86% of producers reported treating less than 30% of their cows and nursing calves at least once. And only 8% of herds treated more than 30% of nursing cows and calves at least once out of those two categories. So what this means, and this is why it's so important to get the story out there, is that in actuality, very few animals in a cow-calf herd are receiving an antimicrobial. And the use of antimicrobials is restricted to animals which are exhibiting signs of 
of an illness in almost all those herds. Yeah, that is good news. And, it, and it's nice to make sure that we get that information out there so the industry can uh, talk about it and sort of say, hey, we're using these fairly wisely. Let's talk about the kinds of antimicrobials they use. The Public Health Agency of Canada and a bunch of other organizations around the world make categories for different antimicrobials based on how important they are for human health. Can you start by just walking us briefly through those different categories? Yep. So Health Canada's veterinary drug director, they've categorized categorized veterinary antimicrobials based on their importance to human health and then the available of all availability of alternative human drugs. So those antimicrobials, which are critical for treatment of infections or disease in people, or those for which there are a few alternatives, um, they fall into the higher categories, which I'll go through here. So like I mentioned, there's four primary categories, which they have broken up uh, veterinary antimicrobials into. So category one antimicrobials, those are very high importance to human health. So those are the antimicrobials which are used for treating very serious human infection. Maybe there's very limited or no alternative drugs available for treatment in humans. Moving into category two, these antimicrobials are considered of high importance to human health. So maybe not as critical for human medicine. Maybe there's some more alternatives available. Um, in category three, we these are antimicrobials considered of medium importance to human health. And then category four antimicrobials are considered of low importance to human health. And in the veterinary side, typically include ionophores. Good. And I'll maybe post in the show notes a link to one of the BCRC webpages that talks about those categories and gives some examples of those in the different uh in the different categories of some of the common drugs that we have in veterinary medicine for cattle that would fall there. But in the herds that you followed, oxytetracycline and fluorophenicol were two of the most commonly used antimicrobials. Where do they fall in these categories? So yeah, tetracycline, the use of tetracycline was reported at least once by 81% of herds and the use of fluorophenicol was reported at least once by 73% of herds. Just touching on why we've seen these drugs used, the primary reason we've seen tetracycline use in the herds that we were following was for treatment of lameness. So that most common reason for treatment in all our herds. And not surprisingly, fluorophenicol was most commonly used for treating respiratory disease. Both uh, tetracycline and fluorophenicol fall into category three or of medium importance to human health. So let's talk about ceftiafur, which is in one of those higher categories of importance for human health. How many herds reported using that as an antimicrobial? So ceftiafur is a category one antimicrobial. So that means it does fall into the very high importance category. The use of ceftiafur was reported at least once by 20% of herds and most commonly for the treatment of diarrhea, that third most common disease that we've seen. One thing to note here is that while ceftiofur was used in cow-calf herds, as we talked about before, in reality, very few animals on most cow-calf operations receive an antimicrobial, and ceftiofur is no exception to that. Only one herd reported using ceftiofur in more than 30% of nursing calves, 
And in fact, no other herds for any animal class reported treatment of more than 30% of animals with any category one product. Right. So that's another good news story. And for producers out there, Seftiofurs often products like XNL or Exceed or a couple of the trade names for those, but uh, they may know them like that. Uh, so that's another good news. We're saving those high importance drugs uh, for fairly rare occasions. What was the reason that caused producers to have to treat lots of calves? So you mentioned that that was a rare event, but there was some herds that treated 30% of their calves with one of these drugs uh, for probably an outbreak or something like that. What, what were the reasons that, that made that happen? So there are a few reasons that producers reported treating a significant number of calves. And before weaning in those nursing calves, a small number of producers reported treating more than 30% of, of nursing calves for navel infections, diarrhea, and uh, respiratory disease or respiratory disease. Depending on the operation, it might have been one disease or a couple. In calves post-weaning, we saw the treatment of more than 30% of animals for respiratory disease and in a few herds for uh, eye diseases or eye infections. Okay. And sometimes in rare occasions, we, we use antimicrobials for disease prevention. So mass treatment of animals where we treat a whole bunch of animals to try to prevent them from getting sick. That's maybe not as common in the cow-calf industry, but how often did owners report doing that sort of technique and, and why? So the use of antimicrobials for disease prevention, as you mentioned, is uncommon in cow-calf herds, especially when comparing cow-calf to other sectors of the, the beef industry. But for disease prevention, we've seen a category four antimicrobials or those of low importance, products such as menensin, uh, with used by approximately 14% of herds. Of these category four products being used, the highest proportion was seen in cows with 12% of herds reporting the use of an oral category four product for disease prevention. The use of injectable category two or three, those of high and medium importance, those antimicrobials for disease prevention were only seen in a few herds. Category two drugs were used for disease prevention by 9% of herds. Well, category three drugs were used for disease prevention by 12% of herds. The most common reasons for the use of injectable antimicrobials, so those category two and three drugs for disease prevention was prevention of respiratory disease, which is something we commonly see in the feedlot, as well as diarrhea. Well, let's switch gears and talk about a, a related subject, and it's a little more controversial perhaps, remote drug delivery. Uh, so there's a variety of ways that we could administer drugs like antimicrobials to animals without having to catch and restrain them. So those are things like dart guns, crossbows, pole syringes. Uh, and you asked some questions about that in your study. How commonly are they being used by cow-calf producers? So just over half of the herds we looked at, uh, 148 herds, reported using a remote delivery system at least one time. The use of remote delivery systems was a bit more popular in Western Canada compared to East. And this is likely because of the differences in management, size of the operations, land bases, etc. The use of dart guns was the most popular with nearly half of the herds uh, reporting the use of remote delivery using a dart gun. 
But one thing to note on this is nearly all dart gun use was seen in Western Canada. There was actually only two herds in the East that reported the use of a dart gun. Crossbows were the second most common method for remote delivery, followed by pole syringes. And then we've seen a few other methods such as roping and restraint for drug administration that were also used when no facilities were available or no other remote delivery devices were available, but not, not very often. Just going back to our good news messages and keeping in mind that low overall use of antimicrobials, the frequency of dart gun use to deliver treatments was also low. Uh, half of the producers reported using dart guns to deliver less than 10% of all their treatments on their cow-calf operation. Yeah, that is good news. There's some drawbacks associated with those type of remote delivery devices. Obviously, there's situations where there may be no other choice or it may be difficult to restrain an animal and deliver a treatment. And so I can see the welfare advantages of maybe getting an animal treated when you can't restrain it any other way. And especially somebody like me, I'm not a not a good roper, header, healer, and I'm not going to be able to, to restrain that animal without getting it to some sort of shoot or some sort of treatment facility. But what are the drawbacks associated with those remote delivery devices? Why do we want to minimize their use when we can? So one important challenge, or I would say maybe even the biggest challenge of remote delivery devices stems from concerns and where the controversy comes from would be concerns over the types of antimicrobials typically given in a remote delivery system. So generally, these devices restrict the amount of product that can be delivered with many of the most common dart guns, the most popular remote delivery system we've seen limiting the amount of antimicrobial product to 10 milliliters or 10 cc's. So delivering more than one dart or trying to get two darts in a cow to, to get uh, the appropriate amount of antimicrobial delivered can be quite challenging. So the, this volume limit restricts the drugs that can be effectively delivered using a remote delivery system. This reduction in treatment options and the limited volume generally forces producers to move towards new lower volume antimicrobials such as macrolides. And with these macrolides, there are concerns regarding the development and the rise of macrolide resistance. This macrolide resistance is of particularly particular concern because these drugs are category two antimicrobials. So they are of high importance to human health. And macrolides are also a very important drug for the management of respiratory disease in the feedlot industry. And when we were talking about mass treatments, that's macrolides are typically what we see used in the feedlot sector for controlling respiratory disease on arrival. Yeah, that's a good point. So we have to use antibiotics. Uh, maybe we're treating a lameness on pasture and we can't get enough penicillin or oxytetracycline into one of these uh, dart syringes. So now we have to use a lower volume product and that might be a macrolide or some other uh, antibiotic that uh, has a much lower volume and it's maybe not the best choice for that therapy. It'll probably work, but it, we could use something 
something less important to human health in those sort of situations. And I guess there's some other problems with darts uh, sometimes break off, and so you can have needles left in the meat, uh, which would be a major problem. And in some cases, we're delivering these products intramuscularly. There's a fair bit of force behind some of these things, and it can cause some muscle damage and uh, some of these products are really designed for subcutaneous use and not for intramuscular administration, and, and we're changing the route of administration, which which can cause some other issues. So there are some drawbacks, and we probably should be limiting our use of these remote delivery things to those situations where we just can't treat the animal in any other fashion. If there is an option to bring it into a chute or find some other way to treat it, uh, then we probably should try to do that. So yeah, it's interesting to get some numbers on that and find out how much is happening. And it's good that it's it's a relatively small proportion of the total treatments. Let's talk about, and you mentioned this a little bit with the dark guns, but were there big differences in sort of antimicrobial use between Eastern and Western Canada? You mentioned there's obvious differences in management between the two uh, places. Did we see huge differences between the two regions? So as I mentioned, and as you just brought up, we did see the differences in dart gun use between Eastern and Western Canada with almost all of the dart gun use being in Western Canada. We also did see some differences in the percentage of herds treating specific animal classes. Um, Western herds were more likely to treat both nursing calves and cows after weaning, as well as bulls. So when we're looking at the specific diseases a higher proportion of Western herds reported treating nursing calves for respiratory disease compared to Eastern herds. And we've seen the same with bulls, with Western herds reporting treatment of lameness in bulls more often than Eastern herds. And this was nearly double for our Western herds compared to our Eastern herds. In terms of antimicrobial products used, we've seen Category 2 macrolides, such as telmycosin and telathromycin. So Mycotil and Draxin were more often used in Western herds compared to Eastern herds, as were penicillin-based products. And fluorfinicol, a Category 3 antimicrobial, which we mentioned before, the second most common drug we've seen used across the country, was, which is typically used for treatment of rep respiratory disease, was also most commonly used in the West compared to the East. There's a few reasons we may see these differences between Eastern, Western, Eastern and Western Canada. And this could be due to differences in herd attributes and management practices. The Eastern herds participating in the study were on average smaller than what we've seen in the West. And this is representative of our Canadian cow-calf industry. Typically those herds out East are a little smaller. Um, one thing with larger herds like we see in the West, they would typically have at least some animals with a specific disease but it also might make it more difficult to manage these herds and there are different choices that producers must make that would be appropriate for their herd and that's going to vary by the what what works for you and in your herd we didn't talk about this question ahead of time but i'm going to ask you anyways if you were talking to producers and giving them some advice about antimicrobial use uh, what would sort of be some of your main points that you'd tell them? So I guess if I was, the one thing I would want to emphasize to producers is 
at the current time, from what we've seen, the cow-calf industry has a good story to tell. And it's important to keep that good story going. So when we're talking about antimicrobial use, make sure that you're using the appropriate antimicrobials. Make sure you're delivering an antimicrobial product to an animal when it is sick, not if we don't need to do mass treatments, that's ideal, um, especially in our cow-calf herds. As those calves move through the production cycle, we want them to be able to respond to antimicrobials in case case they come up ill further down the line. Um, work with your veterinarian on developing treatment protocols and getting access to the antimicrobial products you need for specific diseases. There's blanket treatments aren't necessarily, aren't going to be your best bet for everything. Uh, there are different drugs designed for specific treatments, so make sure you're using those. And one other thing I may bring up would be the, the use of antimicrobials where they might not be necessary. And this, this is kind of a hard one because for diseases like diarrhea and even lameness in cows, we may see that cause in diarrhea, for example, be, be viral. So that's not going to respond to an antimicrobial, which that one's tough to know on farm and would require consultation with your vet and culture and and with lameness in cows, especially in Western Canada, we see uh, issues with sand cracks that can cause lameness issues. Again, that may not respond to an antimicrobial. So just trying to differentiate between what, what actually needs treatment and what doesn't. Yep, that's good advice. And we talked to Dr. Clark about lameness in a previous episode, and he sort of said the same thing. You got to get a good diagnosis before you treat them and uh, obviously your veterinarian is probably the best person to talk to about sort of setting up a treatment protocol and deciding which drugs are appropriate for which kind of cases. So that's great advice. Let's wrap up by talking about the new study you're involved in. You're currently looking for more cow-calf herds to participate in a new long-term study. Tell us about the project and what kind of herds are you looking for? So I'm pretty excited about this new project and super happy to share a little bit of information on it. The new project, as I mentioned in my introduction, is called the Canadian Cow-Calf Health and Productivity Enhancement Network. It's got a quite a long name, so that's C3H backslash PEN for short, and you can Google that if you're interested. This project is sponsored by the Beef Cattle Research Council, so that's a division of the Canadian Cattle Association and the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture. Um, this project builds on the work led by you, Dr. Cheryl Waldner, and other researchers as part of the Western Canadian Cow-Calf Surveillance Network and the Canadian Cow-Calf Surveillance Network, which you mentioned, where is, which is where the, the data for this antimicrobial use information came from. This project will work with Canadian producers to learn how to best optimize reproductive calving and calf production activity under different management conditions and environmental challenges across Canada through surveys and the collection of biological samples. So as you've hinted at a couple times and as I've mentioned, there are a variety of management styles for cow-calf herds in Canada. One size does not fit all in this case and every operation is different depending on your availability, your facilities, your land base, etc. But if we categorize that into two kind of main groups, at least in the West, we see those herds that 
calve early and operate in quite an intensive manner. So producers are supplying feed and calving is taking place in confined pens. Calves may be going into the barn, lots of um, maybe crowding around calving time just because that's how the operation needs to work to make, make it work for them. We also see those herds that operate in a more extensive manner. So they take advantage of extended grazing. Typically they're calving later in the spring on grass, stockpiled grass or fresh grass. And compared to those intensive herds, we see relatively fewer interventions in the herd. So inter fewer interventions with calving, fewer interventions with feed supplied. In Eastern Canada, we have herds that are also using a variety of management styles, but relatively are intensive for most of the year, um, typically raised in confinement. Some herds may even be raised indoors. So the goal of this project in, we're trying to develop some benchmarks and best management practices for the different types of operations we see in Canada. And we're looking for herds from each of the management styles I mentioned. So from Western Canada, we're looking for early calving, intensively managed herds, as well as those later calving, extensively managed herds. We're also seeking herds from Eastern Canada. And like I said, those typically different management compared to herds in the West. This new project gives producers an opportunity to share their experiences with other producers, as well as promote the beef industry. So the data we collect from you, you can share what works, what doesn't work, how that, how that, um, what you've learned over the years and how that's improved your operation. You can, this gives you the opportunity to share that with other producers to hopefully improve the cow-calf industry overall. We're going to begin recruiting producers this fall. There are a few requirements for the project. So first, the producer should have at least 30 calving cows. Secondly, a producer needs access to email. Um, third, producers interested should have a working relationship with a veterinarian, which is pretty common in today's world, especially with the veteran or the antimicrobial regulations. Most cow-calf producers already have that working relationship. And finally, producers should maintain basic production records, such as calving records. Okay, so if there's producers out there that are listening to this and they're interested in participating, how do they get a hold of you? So producers interested in the research network can reach out to me. Um, if you're looking for more information, you can get a hold of me on the phone at 306-966-7870, or you can email the network at c3h.pen at usask. Okay. Well, I'll put that email and your phone number in the show notes and uh, make sure that's available for producers. And uh, you're looking for producers all across Canada, basically right now, not just Western Canada, but Eastern Canada as well, right? Yep. Yep. We're looking for producers from across the country, from a, from a basically any, any sort of management system. So Great. Well, it'll be a great project, I'm sure. And we'll get more good information like you had in your master's project. So thank you, Jason, for uh, talking with us today and really appreciate you giving us all this new information that you accumulated in your research project. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. That's our show for this week. Thanks to all of you for listening. And thanks again to my guest, Jace Fawson. Thanks as always to our sponsors, the Alberta Beef Producers, 
and the Beef Cattle Research Council. Take care until next time.